Hey folks, welcome to a Dark Horse Short. I am sitting this morning in person with Nick Gibson, who is a friend of mine. He started out in my orbit as a participant in the evolution discussion that I hold monthly. He has then started participating in the Coalition of the Reasonable Discussion. And uh, anyway, we've become friends. Um, I thought it would be a good idea for us to talk a little bit about your trajectory over the course of COVID. And I don't just mean your trajectory physically, but your trajectory also in terms of your understanding of uh, various things. I think it will become obvious why we're having that discussion uh, when you tell us what your journey has been like. But in any case, Nick, welcome to Dark Horse. Thanks for having me. So um, tell us where you were in early COVID. First of all, I should say, if you are detecting a, uh, a somewhat thick accent, that is because Nick is actually from Canada, which is technically in North America. The, but Yeah, yeah, barely. Bar yeah. Barely. I mean, it's, it's a very far foreign land. It is. It yes. is. Uh, quite chilly in the winter, but <laughs> yes. um, in any case, the grass yeah. is not so green on the other side of the border. So it seems I didn't even know that you had grass that's, on the other side of the yeah, border, that's the point, yeah. but um, yeah. in any case, uh, tell us uh, roughly how COVID was going for you in the early days, what mm -hmm. you thought was going on mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and how that changed over time. Yeah. I think I, like a lot of people, I, didn't take it very seriously at the beginning. So if we think sort of February 2020, I can distinctly recall going into my office uh, at work and, you know, chumming with some colleagues and just saying like, oh, it's fine. Just wash your hands a little bit more and, you know, get more sleep or whatever, which ironically may have been actually the the right advice in the long, in long term anyways. But I had no sense of the what would happen approximately a month from then. As we got to the lockdowns in, in Canada, much like uh, most places in the world in the United States, I, you know, took it all in just like every other kind of normie out there. I, I wasn't as scared of the virus personally. I was more concerned around how it was going to affect people around me per se. So even then implicitly, I didn't feel that level of fear, but I definitely felt the, the heaviness of what was going on and all the, all the policy implications that um i came out of it so yeah pretty pretty standard standard middle of the book bell curve kind of reaction and um it's sometimes hard for me at least to go back and reconstruct what was understood when yeah but it seems to me that even very early in the pandemic as we were still wrestling with how hard we were going to be hit here in in north america it became clear pretty early that it wasn't hitting healthy young people right. especially hard. Right. And at the time, you know, before COVID and, and during early COVID, you were uh, highly athletic, mm -hmm. healthy. You didn't have chronic health issues. Nope. Um, okay. So you, like many of us, would have looked at it and thought, that's worrying frightening mm -hmm. but less so for me because i don't have the conditions that would make me especially vulnerable given what we're seeing yeah exactly i mean there's a little bit of you don't know what you don't know and the information landscape to say the least was was pretty messy at the time but i'd say my anxiety or nervousness or whatever was more so related to the broader broadly what was going on relative to uh, as opposed to the 
disease itself, the infection itself. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, so how did things develop? Yeah, I'd say over time, I slowly but surely started to think things were a little weird, put it that way. I'd say by May, June, as things started to ease off in the first kind of wave of things, I started feeling comfortable with even just seeing my family because, you know, my parents are not old, but they're, they're older and certainly in a real sense, COVID would affect folks who are above 60, above 70, more so than, than the rest of the population. So I was a little more careful that way. But by May, I started visiting them with no, you know, out of the ordinary um, precautions. And uh, as the summer went on, cases went down, uh, but the fall came and much like most places and, and the, well, all places get the fall in some way, as we know. But in the case of COVID, when the fall rolled around, uh, I, as you mentioned, I played different sports. I was playing a softball league that uh, that fall, and Ontario, where, where I'm from, decided that uh, they're going to do another lockdown. They're going to shut down outdoor softball, and I was just perplexed. And I think that was the first turning point of a few uh, during the course of the this era. Well, at that time, we did not know that the virus was not transmitted by uh, rapidly moving spherical objects that uh, that's right yeah yeah it's it's particularly bad on uh, leather leather things that you <laughs> leather. put on one hand yeah. right the stitching also the virus yeah. hides on the yeah, stitching you stuck in there you know yeah well i guess of all of the insanity that we went through the idea of preventing people from being in outdoor spaces doing healthy activities it, to me strikes me as uh, near the top because any hour that you spent doing that actually was an hour that you were safe from contracting the disease by virtue of the fact that it just simply didn't transmit that way, which became clear fairly early on. Yeah, I, I've even added to that. Just in my mind, it was just so absurd on at least two or three levels, right? I would kind of get, at that point, I don't agree with it now, but at that point, I would have been much more sympathetic to the idea of indoor sports being closed down. Sure. Right? Even now, at this point, I don't even think that's relatively the, uh, a case that I would make, but I would be more sympathetic to it. But it was just such a sweeping, over-the-top, ridiculous, you know, approach, and um, it only kind of got worse from there. It got worse. So um, maybe the way to think about this is we were on parallel trajectories. I don't know at which point you uh, started paying attention to what we were thinking about mm -hmm. COVID, but the... For us, initially, we believed that um, measures that were being taken were sensible, even if we didn't know that they were working, you know, a short lockdown, I'm embarrassed to say now, but a short lockdown uh, seemed sensible enough. Mm -hmm. I think there's no way at the point that we began locking down that there was any controlling of the virus. But right. at the time, it seemed reasonable. Masks seemed like something um, that was comparatively low cost. And then of course these things got taken over and they became, uh, symbols of compliance and, and, uh, it made a lot of us rethink our initial position. But our first sponsor for this episode is Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley makes a huge range of products from supplements like fish roe and organ complex, grass fed bone broth, protein, and superfood bars. Everything we've tried from them has been terrific, including their golden milk made with loads of turmeric but we're going to talk today about beef sticks. The beef in these delicious snacks comes from small American-owned farms that practice rotational grazing. Paleo Valley's beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished, entirely organic and naturally fermented. 
100% grass-fed beef is more nutritious than grain-fed beef in many ways, including that it contains more calcium, magnesium, potassium, zinc, phosphorus, beta-carotene, and iron. It's also utterly delicious. If you are thinking that Paleo Valley's beef sticks are like Slim Jims, you're wrong. For one thing, unlike Slim Jims, Paleo Valley's beef sticks contain no mechanically separated chicken parts. For another, Paleo Valley's beef sticks are actually good for you. Ingredients hiding in most beef sticks and jerky include MSG, hormones, hydrogenated oils, and brominated vegetable oil, which, if you're wondering what that is, was first patented as a flame retardant, and now it's in a lot of food. Not if you buy Paleo Valley, though. Furthermore, unlike other meat snacks, Paleo Valley uses natural fermentation to preserve its beef sticks. This gives the beef sticks a long shelf life without the use of harmful acids and chemicals and with the added benefit of contributing to a healthy gut. Paleo Valley beef sticks are also keto-friendly and make a great protein-rich snack to grab when you're on the go, like running out the door for a meeting, podcast, or going on a bike ride. Paleo Valley doesn't cut corners. They source the highest quality ingredients and are passionate not only about human health, but about environmental restoration and animal welfare as well. And they're family-owned. Try Paleo Valley's beef sticks today. You'll be so glad you did. Head over to Paleo Valley, that's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y dot com slash darkhorse for 15% off your first order. Our second sponsor for this episode is Vivo Barefoot, shoes made for feet. Vivo was one of our very first sponsors, and they remain one of our favorites. Everyone should try these shoes. Most shoes are made for someone's idea of feet, but not Vivo's. Vivo's are made by people with feet who know how to use them, and word is spreading. People have approached us because of the Vivo's we are wearing, saying they've heard they're great and wanting to know if they really are. Well, yes, they are. These shoes are every bit as good as you've heard. These shoes are beyond comfortable. The tactile feedback from the surfaces you're walking on is amazing, and they cause no pain at all because there, there are no pressure points forcing your feet into odd positions. They're just fantastic. Our feet are the products of millions of years of evolution. Humans evol evolved to walk, move, and run barefoot. Modern shoes that are overly cushioned and strangely shaped have negatively impacted foot function and are contributing to a health crisis. People move less than they might in part because their shoes make their feet hurt. Enter Vivo Barefoot. Vivo Barefoot shoes are designed wide to provide natural stability, thin to enable you to feel more, and flexible to help you build your natural strength from the ground up. Foot strength increases by 60% in a matter of months just by walking around in them. Vivo Barefoot has a great range of footwear for kids and adults for every activity from hiking to training and everyday wear. They're also a certified B Corp that is pioneering regenerative business principles and their footwear is produced using sustainably sourced natural and recycled materials with the aim to protect the natural world so you can run wild upon it. Go to vivobarefoot.com and use code DARKHORSE15 to get an exclusive 15% off. Additionally, all new customers get a 100-day free trial so you can see if you love them as much as we do. That's V-I-V-O-B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T.com and use the code DARKHORSE15 at check out. How did your, so you were somewhat skeptical mm -hmm. of some of the provisions, but mm -hmm. basically on board with the mainstream understanding for some time. And then there's a point at which that's no longer true. What, what happened to you? Yeah, actually, I'll add some more context to make that even more color. Uh, I think I've said this to you, but I had the reaction uh, early on. I don't remember exactly when you started talking about lab leak. 
but I had the reaction of, oh no, Brett's going down that route. Mm. Uh, and I, I didn't, you know, I knew you enough even at that point that I, I didn't completely write you off. Um, obviously I'm here, so that uh, didn't fully happen, but I was a little like, oh no, why, why is he doing this? Why is he going down there? Um, because I was imbuing and consuming the overall kind of shoo shoo of that narrative. Right. Right. Um, so just for folks listening, I think that just adds even more color to the, the transition that ended up happening. So I'd say going into 2021, uh, folks were excited more generally around the vaccine being available. And, um, I, I was generally happy, you know, in November when it was announced that, oh, this high efficacy and all the numbers, it's like, oh, oh okay, that's great. Such yeah. high efficacy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I should know this as someone who works with numbers in my day job that um, numbers can be played with pretty easily. Nonetheless, uh, as that went on, I still kind of, at first, there was the first wave of, we don't have enough, we're going to triage who's going to get it. Right. There were a lot of problems with that. But in general, I was like, yeah, I don't need it. I'm, I'm working. First of all, you know, my health, my age, and I was working from home. I was the last person that needed to get one, um, yeah. you know, right away. So I'm like, okay, I won't even think about it. Right. But then in April, May came around. And by that time, unambiguously, everyone who wanted to get it could, could get it. And that was the time where I'm starting to think, like, I don't know about this, especially because the cases were going down. But I still in my head thought, okay, I'm probably still going to get it at some point, but I just, I wasn't prioritizing it. Mm -hmm. um, and as I heard more from you and from others, I was getting more concerned that it wasn't as advertised, to put it lightly. Um, but I was talking to some folks in the last day or so, and I don't exactly know what happened, um, to say the least, but... I think eventually I got to a point where there was enough social pressure that I felt like I needed to, you know, support others. Cause as, as I said, I wasn't, especially at that point, I wasn't particularly concerned about the virus. I mean, no one likes getting sick, right? It's, it's, it sucks for a few days kind of thing, but, um, I did it. My sister was having a wedding about a month after I ended up getting it in, in August of 2021. Um, and so the intention was to get the first one, give it, you know, three to four weeks and I could get the second one. And it was well before her wedding. Um, Which but, one did you get? Uh, the Moderna. Moderna. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was just what was available at the time. And um, yeah, that was, that ended up being quite a turning point uh, because at first I was so relieved that I'm like, okay, this decision is now behind me, right? I've done it. It's okay. We're good. I expected that that night was going to be a little messy. Most people knew that there was, a, or at least you're set up to understand that the symptoms that you get in that night are, you know, going to be a little rough. You might have a bad sleep. Generally speaking, I didn't have as good a sleep as I normally would, but it was fine. It was uh, until the, the days later that things started to change. How? Yeah. Um, one of those, uh, as I joked with other people, uh, one of those lucky lottery winners that, um, Turns out this is a pretty high odds lottery, but um, lucky lottery winners that had injury from the from the vaccine. Um, you know, it was. I'll put it this way: I, it sucked in many ways, and you know we'll, we might get more into it as we go through this. But um, 
I was quite fortunate relative to other people. I, and that's a perspective I, I try to keep in my mind, even though um, it would be difficult any given day to do so. But yeah, I had any, a very eclectic mix of symptoms. So the first bit was this sort of unbearable fatigue. So you mentioned um, I'm pretty active. So uh, during the course of the day, I will go to the gym kind of at that time I was going in the afternoon. So I'd go midday if work was well, you know, going well, didn't have any other things. I'd go to the gym and then just pick up work afterwards. There was one day about three, no, but four days later, I started noticing just like subtle symptoms of fatigue and even just like tightness in the upper chest. But then I started like, oh, maybe it's just my workout, right? So I eased up a little bit. And then six or seven days in, I came home from a work. I was going to work out. I already felt a little tired. During the workout, I was like, oh, man, I really can't push today. This is weird. Maybe I just need to take it easy. And on the way back, I was so tired that I needed to message one of my colleagues and say, I'm sorry, I, I'm done for the rest of the day. I just need to, I need to nap. Like, and I've never had that urge before. It was just so overwhelming. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'm burning myself out. It didn't make sense because it was the middle of summer and, you know, stress levels were actually relatively speaking, the pandemic were pretty um, manageable at that point, but um, took some time off uh, from the gym and uh, was actually planning to go on a trip out to uh, Western Canada for a conference I was going to on the Friday morning and uh, woke up that morning with what I thought was, well, for all intents and purposes, thought it might have been a habit heart attack. Um, my heart rate was not high, but for those who, you know, watch cartoons as a kid, it was as if my, my heart was like pushing through my, my rib cage. And it wasn't like I woke up from a dream that was, you know, because if that were the case, my heart rate would be high. Yeah, it wasn't a panic attack. No, no. And it wouldn't, wasn't going down. Um, so I visited the ER. Um, didn't really get much other than just a bunch of tests. Nothing nothing happened and things did ease up after a little bit. But yeah, that was sort of the immediate phase one and it uh, continued. It continued. And so um, forgive me, mm -hmm. it took a long time uh, in our regular meetings which were over zoom mm -hmm. but it took a long time for you to say enough and for me to notice enough to realize that something was going on with you you were not uh talking you may have been open about this but mm -hmm. you certainly weren't uh bringing it to the fore in a way right. that it became apparent to me but right. um if we at the point that we finally had a completely uh clear discussion about the state of your health you had become pretty visibly frail compared to what you had been before and what you are now yeah. um you were so you know what was your life like and what was your what was your day-to-day -day interaction with the the new medical realities that you were facing yeah so i'd say there were two kind of two paths or or thing i and Two parallel paths I would articulate. One is the the physical piece to your point and managing those symptoms. So um, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I knew there was something wrong, and so I tried various things. You would go to your your standard doctors in Canada. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, that may be another discussion topic for another day. But we have the ability to access healthcare in a in a basic sense, at least through the system that we have, uh, without um, 
without pulling out the credit card, so to speak. But um, yeah, test after test after test was coming back either negative or all within normal range, which became the bane of my existence because I know my body pretty well and knew that you knew something was going on and they weren't finding it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where it it came in different waves, but over time the heart palpitations was something that would continue. Um, the wave of fatigue was an issue. So it got to the point where two and a half weeks after the, the dose, I took some time off after that ER visit as well. But, um, yeah, but a week and a half after that, I basically stopped exercising other than walking for what ended up being almost a year. Um, all right. And we can go back and pick up whatever information we've uh, glossed over. Sure. But at some point, you did say something about that you were facing a, a vaccine injury mm-hmm. um, and that you weren't sure what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the point that that crossed into my consciousness fully i know exactly who to send you to i know the people who specialize in treating vaccine injured people and i know that they succeed at it because Mm -hmm. you're not the first person that i've sent um but i said hey how about how about we set you up with dr Corey?" and uh you you were up for it of course Mm -hmm. you had tried everything and not worked so right i was um, up for almost anything at that point and uh so okay you uh you met up with Dr. Corey virtually, I assume. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what happened next? Yeah, and that was, um, you know, I'm always grateful for that for that uh, introduction to him. Well, I'm I'm uh, embarrassed that it didn't come earlier. It should well, it, I should have paid closer attention. But regardless, so we're, we're I was I was grateful for it nonetheless. And it, it happened, I think, April May ish, kind of of 22. Um, so at that point I'd gone to your point, I had gone through any number of, of different specialists and different testing and, 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 uh, just straight up gaslighting from the medical system. Uh, I have many new opinions of the healthcare system uh, that I didn't have before, but yeah, once I got to that point, um, he was incredibly helpful. I think one of the things I, I struggled with was not simply just the symptoms because at that point, the symptoms were, I'd gotten into a groove where I could manage them. Now, I still wasn't exercising at that point, other than, again, just walking and stuff like that. But I had habits around sleep. I had habits around when I would eat and what I would eat and very, very mindful of all of that. Uh, but to your point, I I, um, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I was probably, from where I am right now, I was at the lowest. I'm probably 25 pounds heavier now versus when I was there before. And I was eating healthy, so it wasn't it wasn't fat. It was losing a fair amount of muscle. Yeah, you, um, you you looked like a different person. Yeah, yeah. So, um, which also you get to the point where you start getting conscious about that too, in terms of how you present, right? But I was virtual. I mean, in our conversation, certainly, but even in, from a work context, I was I was virtual. So you can kind of hide some of it, but I actually recall now bringing that up. I had a colleague who I hadn't seen in a while because I moved to a different team. And we met up and she's just like, oh, man, like you've, you've lost a lot of weight in like sort of like a positive-ish sort of way. Right. And I kind of, you know, just politely uh, acknowledged it and, and you know, we moved on to the conversation. But that really kind of hit me and I don't remember exactly when it was. But it was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I experience it every day in this sort of incremental sense. But people who haven't seen me in that gap, it's really noticeable. But 
to your question, um, Dr. Corey was very helpful, both because I, I needed two things mainly. Number one, I needed somebody who actually knew what they were doing, right? And he did uh, know what he was doing. But number two, and more, I almost more importantly, I needed somebody who I trusted was actually going to do the ho their homework because I had cardiologists to my earlier point who basically said to me that, okay, we don't see anything on our tests. So this must be psychosomatic. And I'm like, first of all, you didn't ask any even basic triage questions to see whether I had any mental health challenge history. Number one, number two, even if that is what you think it's going to be, or it is, you should at least couch it with your, your patient as, you know what, I'm not, I haven't really found what's going on here. Um, you know, sometimes there are scenarios where patients will, will um, be so anxious that, that physical symptoms will manifest. Uh, I want to rule that out. So help me, help me with this sort of thing, right? There's a, there's a way yep. to, to vary with a high level of EQ, so to speak, do that, right? But I got, no, it must be all in your head. I'm like, no, it is most certainly not all in my head. And if it were, um, well, not even if it were, it just, it, it was not. And, and I know that because the contrast was so stark from pre to post. And it wasn't like I didn't want to, like right. I, <laughs> the fact that I couldn't play sports or do a lot of the activities that I was doing before, even just non-sports things that just extended my day too long. I'm like, no, I can't, I can't go too far because it's, I'm going to be so wiped and I didn't want to affect my job because if I affected my job, then I couldn't pay for the extra healthcare that I need to pay out of pocket among many other things. Right. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where he became Dr. Corey became someone who I could trust that would actually do the homework. And then also as a treatment, because one of the hypotheses I had was that I had myocarditis and, um, yeah, I'll just say that, that according to him, it's very unlikely that's the case. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's something that you need some pretty advanced tests to completely rule out. Yeah. But the test that I did do, plus the other things that he kind of took in clinically, he didn't feel like it was that. So the easiest way to describe it was like a very over-the-top autoimmune response. Okay. Um, so that's a, a powerful story. It's also, I will say, just the fact that it's, it, it's not like you're describing you, you got the shot. You started to feel anonymous, uh, anomalously terrible. Um, you went to Dr. Corey, you started to feel better. Mm -hmm. You're visibly different, mm -hmm. right? So psychosomatic doesn't, you know, it's not impossible that right. a person could right. uh, imagine that they were better and change their behavior and all of that, but you right. were trying and it right. wasn't working. Right. And then uh, Dr. Corey intervened medically right. and the transition is... Uh, not only remarkable in its degree, but also remarkable in its speed. And you started reporting as I asked you, hey, how is that going? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't like, hey, I'm better. He cured me. It's like, no. wow, this is going really well. Yeah. I'm amazed at, at how quickly I'm feeling mm -hmm. uh, a difference, which, you know, all of this suggests an actual intervention that has physiological implications. Right. Um, okay, so I should also just say, Two things. One, it is important to me. I, I get accused of lots of stuff, as you know. Um, the people who participate in the discussions that I host, the people who are on 
the Discord server, the people who circulate around Dark Horse. I do think it is likely that they are less vaccinated than average. If we right. were to just see who got shots and how many, less than average. But it is nothing like, oh, the people who circulate around Dark Horse didn't get them, right? Mm -hmm. Many, I think most probably got some. Um, and this is far from the only story I know. And it's mm -hmm. not just people who circulate around Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. I have friends, people I knew from long before COVID mm -hmm. who uh, got shots and have very horrifying stories to tell. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of those cases. And I also, as I said, um, have seen people go uh, to Dr. Corey finally out of desperation. And um, uh, this is the report that I get is, wow, this is the first time, A, I felt that the thing was being dealt with in a logical way, and B, the response is undeniable. So that's all very positive. I will say just for people who may be having this experience. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Corey now does telemedicine. And if you're in need of his help, I definitely suggest you uh, get a consult. But yeah. um, okay. The most important thing here is it's a little bit delicate because obviously, reputationally, I have a lot riding on this. And that's part of why I've asked you to have this discussion. But certain things that you've said unprompted by me um, I think are quite telling with respect to where you are now with your understanding of what happened during COVID, what the reality of the, the shots was, um, and maybe most importantly, where you think you would be if you hadn't had this terrible medical misfortune. Yeah. Yeah, I, I described to folks that I would put myself as sort of a libertarian-ish uh, disposition in political ideology prior to COVID and still would be there to a large extent if I'm having to summarize. But the the expectation I had of of institutions was that, particularly in the COVID scenario, would be that they would inefficiently, clumsily, slowly get there almost to the right answer, right? Um, and as I said to you, uh, I couldn't have been more wrong on that. That realization took months, years to to really see. Um, but I would say that those smaller pieces, the, I mean, I used a softball example earlier. It sounds very kind of mundane, but it is a little bit of a, a light bulb moment. It's a, it's a dimmer light bulb than, than the vaccine issue. But there were some of those types of moments that started adding up, but still, Obviously, at that point, I still decided I'm going to go ahead with with getting that shot. And yeah, it, it changed. And I think it's one of those things where had I either taken the shot and and had no adverse event um, or, you know, other sort of scenario, I could definitely see myself going down the route of many folks in the audience would be uh, very aware of. Um, uh, from a podcast world perspective and just others in, in your lives that are the, the quote unquote norm, the normies uh, who um, would have said, you know, look at those anti-vaxxers, vaccines are amazing, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I don't, tr I try not to be the person who is overtly, you know, impolite and rude, but certainly from a thinking perspective, I would have been there for sure. And I'm, in fact, I was there. And had 
certain things in addition to just the vaccine thing, which is obviously a big one, but had other things not happened, yeah, I could easily see myself as as um, somebody who would be pushing back against the so-called conspiracy theorists and all that sort of stuff. So where do I sit now? I'd say that um, I much more skeptical. I am. I often will answer questions by saying I can't rule anything out at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough position, I have to tell you, because once you are aware of what can be true, I mean, in this case, we had a technology that was a radical departure from the technologies we knew. And even the technologies we knew, the truth of them had not been properly aired. Mm -hmm. But this radically new technology deployed under false pretenses and then pushed towards people who stood to benefit not at all from it, like kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that tells you that there's some force out there, whatever the nature of it, that is willing to do things that put healthy children in mortal danger for no benefit, something right. no rational society would contemplate. Right. Once you know that that can happen in a particular context, you have to ask yourself the question, is that a unique defect of pharma and its interaction with governance and science? Or is this a more general pattern? And do I now have to be alert for this possibility in other places? And of course, you don't want to be somebody who's constantly looking for nefarious explanations for things that have mundane explanations. On the other hand, you know that you'd be foolish to assume that the, the mundane explanations had to be right because that was uh, the correct bias in a prior world. Right. So, uh, you know, in some sense, I, I want to say, A, welcome, and B, uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not personally sorry. I don't think I did this to you, but right. I'm sorry that this happened to you because what it means is from here on out, now that you're aware, nothing's easy. It just can't be. You have to do your homework. You're going to make errors. You're going to see stuff that you, you think indicates uh, some sort of nefarious activity, and sometimes it will turn out not to be. Sometimes mm -hmm. you'll miss nefarious activity because you're trying not to be reflexive. It's it's right. just not an easy position to be in. No. Yeah, and, and part of my struggle, I think, was, was uh, as I would phrase it, how do I keep both my feet on the ground in all this? It's because it is destabilizing. Yep. Right. And so it's destabilizing, but I also then uh, correspondingly knew that stress or anxiety would worsen my symptoms at the same time. So it's this weird sort of place that I had to both practically manage that anxiety by, you know, moving on to other things or whatever, but also confront the fact that my worldview had been at, mi at minimum adjusted, if not, you know, quite significantly profoundly changed. So, you know, one of the things you had, you had just mentioned was this, the idea of a force. And, and I think a lot of people um, get caught up in the idea of, of you being conspiratorial by using that sort of phrasing, but how I've always, or at least how I now interpret what you mean by that is you're describing a, a phenomenon in a, in a simple sense, right? It's a, it's a series of different incentives and people and, and things that come together to create a certain direction in, in, um, 
in society or in particular places, right? And I think that uh, in general, I was too naive to certain incentives. I was too naive that sociopathic and psychopathic people do exist. Like obviously intellectually, I knew they existed, but I was I didn't appreciate that those people do often get into places where they can wield disproportionate power. And then I, I honestly, one of the, one of the most concerning things that I'd learned about people around us um, in general is there's a lot of compliant people. And as you were alluding to, I think I would have been one of those people because I would have not in a sort of, you know, you are a bad person sort of way. I, I just don't think I'm dispositionally, you know, structured that way. But certainly in my mind, those people are not doing their part. You know, those people aren't reading the research or whatever the phrasing would be in my head. Uh, but the, as you've used the word too, the brown shirting of, of folks around me in general, luckily my closer friends are, I'd say more normies, but not the... They don't wear brown shirts. Let's just put it that way, uh, fortunately. And that was also very helpful in my recovery process too, that it took a little bit of stress off. But but yeah, even just, I didn't even tell my, my mom about it until five plus months later. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, partly, be, partly because I didn't want her to worry, right. as, as moms would do. But also because like the burden of her taking that on and sort of like, managing that like she, I, I wasn't going to be worried about her response to me and that she was going to cast me away kind of thing yep. it was more so the stress of her her reaction and the burden that she would kind of have to take on in conversations with other people it just it, it didn't make sense like fortunately one of my siblings is a, is a nurse and you know we've been coming you know we had all this classic sibling rivalry as we were younger but over time uh, we've gotten pretty close and Pretty much she was the only one that knew other than a few other friends um, early on for both practical and and other reasons. And so, yeah, it affected all those different relationships and and um, yeah, the, the worldview gets adjusted quite significantly when you go through those those changes. And so it's also given me a lot of empathy for folks who have gone through either other types of health challenges that are completely ignored or gaslit or non-health, but otherwise you know, experiencing things, seeing things or whatever, I don't have to necessarily agree, believe, accept their premises. But as far as I'm concerned, at the very least, I'm going to hear them out. I'm going to give them the time. Obviously, you can't give the time to every single person that you ever come across, especially someone like you. But in principle, that's where I am. And I think I was much more, um, I was much less generous before and I, and I regret that. But I'm here now. So, well, I think actually you've hit on the most important insight from all of this, which is that your social connections have to be uh, robust to differences, even profound differences, mm -hmm. even differences that, depending upon who's right, have life and death implications. The right. point is, if you're honestly trying to figure out what's going on and you're wrong, mm -hmm. and the way you're wrong puts people in jeopardy the right thing to do is to attempt to persuade you and maybe you'll persuade me right um the wrong thing to do is to imagine that if your conclusion is incorrect and potentially harmful that that is a moral defect that you are displaying because it isn't right if you've done if you're 
analytical process leads you to a conclusion, you're open to the possibility of changing it, and you act based on what you have concluded with the best tools at your disposal, who can fault you for that? It's not a moral defect. It might be an analytical one, but right. that's it. And so anyway, I think the idea that and some of the other people I know who have stories, and frankly, some of them are worse than yours. Totally. Um, as I said, I'm very great. As, as bad as this was, um, I'm very grateful that it wasn't nearly as bad as many others have had. Many others. And it's funny, you know, in, in, it's, it's the opposite of funny. Right. In my circle, you know, I don't know how representative my circle is. I don't know how evenly distributed the injuries were. Sure. I don't know how, um, you know, my circle is odd because it's unusually large. I've been put in contact with a lot of people by uh, events since 2017. But several of the people I know who have serious injuries are well-known people who have not talked about it publicly. Mm -hmm. And the idea that something would put you in the predicament where you had been injured, you tried to do the right thing, you tried to do something that was... Uh, pro-social, as the, as the term uh, is, and it went badly for you. You were injured. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people who claim injury who are being portrayed as psychologically defective, and you're quiet about it, even though you have personal experience. You could say, hey, look, I don't know, maybe I'm an anomaly, but I had a terrible experience with this thing. Let me tell you about it. In what universe are people who are in general bold about talking about heterodox ideas, unwilling to share their experience, the, that suggests, you know, go, go back to the point about a force. I don't know what the force is. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm agnostic about, yes, is, there's definitely some conspiracy here, but there's also some emergent property of the mm -hmm. way uh, social phenomena unfold. And I'm uh, agnostic as to where the balance point is, what fraction of this is actually, you know, but we, you know that we got to where we are, and so something has right. got us here. I, what I can see is it's just like uh, the discovery of a planet that you haven't spotted yet, where mm -hmm. you detect that something has, is exerting a gravitational impact on uh, some other body. And mm -hmm. so the point is, well, I don't know what that is, but I can tell how powerful it is. I can mm -hmm. tell how much mass it's got. Mm -hmm. um, and this is like that. Um, the fact that there is a force that gets people to self-censor their own, yes, anecdotal, but significant uh, reaction mm -hmm. to one of these vaccines, to me, suggests a very, very powerful social force that causes people uh, who are ordinarily biased in the direction of sharing information to um, to protect a story that that actually harmed them, which is an amazing fact. Yeah. I mean, gives you a, a sense to give you a sense of sort of the gaslighting piece. Cause I think it's related to this. Um, so I've mentioned the cardiologist, uh, piece. I also went, went to my uh, general practitioner, my family doctor. I'm not sure what the Yankees talk, uh, call it, but, uh, I'm not sure if you're technically a Yankee given where you are in the world, but, um, I went to my, my doctor, with not a whole lot of expectations, just basically hoping that she could do some basic, um, you know, uh, checkup type stuff and see if something she'll she'll find. 
and also the way the Canadian system works, it's very, I know other systems are similar, but the Canadian system is very dependent on that, that uh, GP to be um, who refers you out to the various other specialists, right? So I kind of needed to, to go through her, but went to this, this uh, appointment and by the end of the appointment, she basically said, oh, yeah, everything seems pretty good. And, you know, I was expecting that. I wasn't expecting to get some new insight necessarily, but I said, let's, let's try. But as I was walking out the door, she says, um, so when are you going to get your, your next dose? <laughs> and, you know, I think you know me enough to know that I'm not a particularly emotive person. Uh, it took a lot of energy for me not to just lose it in yeah. that moment. Uh, so there's probably was a good like one to three seconds of just like breathing right and then you know letting it go but i bring that up it's 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 so ridiculous that it's almost comical but that is the experience a lot of a lot of folks um i had somebody i did go quasi public in january of 2020 sorry 2022 that that timeline wouldn't work uh, of 2022 which before the you know, as a, as a Canuck the, before the trucker protests, because the conversation in Canada was, was uh, lurching towards mandatory vaccinations. And at that point, um, for obvious reasons, I was not interested in getting a second one and that would have made me up to date or whatever the phrasing is now. Um, so I did the video. I didn't really get a lot of traction, but I just viscerally needed to say something. I could not say something and I needed to figure out the way to do it in a constructive way and all those other things that are, are important to me, but I couldn't not say something. And after that video, I had a couple of people reach out to me and honestly, of course, right. Someone I, I knew from school that I hadn't seen in a while and he had the exact same issues that I had. Um, and, you know, I had some people who responded in a more public way who were, who were, uh, let's just say skeptical of my, of my claims and my skepticism towards mandatory vaccinations or, other other forms of things like they'll they'll bring up sort of school vaccinations and make the comparison there which i think is both um wrong but also uh, has some resonance but it, I, don't, I don't think it's completely relevant to the the topic area at the time but it's it was um it was it's quite interesting and so to your point someone like me who generally i i'm i wouldn't call myself an open book like if i'm more open than i ever used to be in general but I'm not the first person to be default open, but if I had a health issue, I would have been in, in non COVID non super controversial political topic areas. I would have been open enough to talk to people who would have been able to support me in different ways. Right. In this case, one of the biggest problems is that not only was the healthcare system not responding to me in the ways that I needed, but it was very difficult to reach out to other people who might have had ideas for other people to, for me to reach out to, like for other family or friends who are, may have connections in the healthcare system and stuff like that. So I had to couch everything that I said and, and because I didn't want people to feel like I was crazy because if, if that was the case, then they write me off, right? It's like, oh, oh man, the pandemic's really affected Nick too, kind of thing, right? <laughs> so like it was always that sort of, I don't want to over oversell it, um, but that cognitive load, if you will, of trying to communicate the right way and then trying to manage your symptoms and then all these different things, it was, the symptoms were exhausting. Then the additional mental load was exhausting. And, um, you know, fortunately I don't have to do that now, but 
that's probably one of the reasons why it took so long for me to get to to that result that I am at now. So we are so far from any normal, acceptable system that it's hard to even fathom how far that story is from reasonable. Let's say that the universe is the one that you described you would have assumed was going to happen, right. where the system would be too bureaucratic, it would bumble its way towards right. the right answer too slowly right. with too much carnage, but sure. whatever, it would get there. Yeah. In that world, okay, they should never have said it's totally safe because no drug is. Right. The chances this was going to be totally safe were zero. It's safe enough. They could have made that error. Mm-hmm. If they did make that error and you were the unlucky guy, the one in a million who had some weird reaction based on some unusual bit of your physiology interacting with the shot or some contaminant in the shot that was very, very rare or something like that, who the hell is anybody not to just simply say that really sucks that this shot hurt you? Mm-hmm. I understand that's a very rare phenomenon, but what does that mean to you? You got hurt. Right. So from my perspective... For me, it's one for one. Right, <laughs> right. The gaslighting of the vaccine injured is so deeply callous and inhuman that it is hard for me to imagine people, the architects of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that some of it is emergent. For example, doctors who fell for this Mm -hmm. and administered it to their patients or strong-armed them into getting it or whatever they did. Those doctors, many of them do not have the strength of character to face their own responsibility. And so they are rationalizing what they did and in rationalizing what they did, they are dismissing people who are injured in front of them as Mm -hmm. having psychosomatic illness. I know there's some of that. Mm -hmm. But there's also people, you know, the people who took the vaccine injured and shut down their Facebook group. So these people couldn't even... You know, never mind whether they were going to find some sort of a treatment. And there are obviously treatments that mm-hmm. work. But mm-hmm. just even the ability to join other people who were injured and say, yeah, that's happening to me too. I also have tinnitus that I can barely stand, right? Yeah. The ability just simply to make human contact with other people who are in a similar situation, that is the right of the injured. And the the force that disrupts that right by throwing them off Facebook and demonizing them as if they're making this up in order to, oh, it just insane, you know, to even just the idea that the word anti-vaxxer comes up here. You're talking about people who took the vaccine. Yeah. They're not anti-vaxxers, or if they are now, they're anti-vaxxers with a justification. So... Um, I don't know. I find I find the degree to which people are self-editing and worried about what others will say, the degree to which people are willing to reach out to you and, you know, to your face, tell you that uh, you're not on the team because you're talking about some experience that you had. This is this is madness. Um, I would also say, I don't know what I would have done in your shoes with this doctor who asked when you were getting your next dose. But I think. what I would like to have done if I, had I been in your yeah, shoes would yeah. be something like, say, good one, doc. <laughs> you had me for a second. <laughs> Honestly, like that, that probably would have been a good response. But I, I think I was just so shocked that, you know, I, I could imagine her thinking it. But for her to be so 
like matter of fact not even even just what she said wasn't even the problem it was just so matter of fact it was okay you know here's the checklist and we're we're going through it's you're a few months uh, a few months late but you know you can get your second one you're you can participate in society again right because at that point you know a lot of places in the world at that point it was probably two and a bit months in of of uh passports right so but no i i'm, I'm gonna push back on you sure, a little sure, bit yeah. okay you've got a doctor mm-hmm who has in front of them someone who at least is experiencing some massive disruption of their life right. that occurred, who was healthy, got a shot, and is having a massive, unexplained disruption of their physiological life. Right. To ask that person when they are getting their next dose of the same stuff is to reveal that this person has no logical capacity that medical training was wasted on them. Because the fact is, it is readily possible that your experience is the result of an anomaly of your physiology. Either you picked up an allergy to some ingredient in the vaccine, or you have some uh, rare genetic predisposition to etc but the idea that somebody who has had that experience this doctor should be recommending oh listen nick i think everybody should get these shots but not you in fact Mm -hmm. you know that would at least be consistent with some universe in which logic holds um or or the very least it's not you know when are you getting your next dose is it's a you know maybe even if she thinks i ought to it's are you going to get your next dose? Right. And let's talk about this. There's right. at least something to discuss right. rather right. than, right. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I've done my due diligence and we're now on the uh, the part of the uh, the appointment where we close things down and we ask the regular questions. Right. And, and Well, the, 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 the absurdity, now that I think about it, the absurdity even further is at that point, this was November 2022, right? We knew a lot of things at this point in terms of the, not just the safety profile, put that aside, the utility of it the any there's a lot of weasel words here but if it's uh effect efficacy effectiveness but i'll just, I'll just say utility yeah. right and we knew at that point that the transmission argument was dead in the water even though the passports were alive and well at that point and so why why someone who you literally just examined right and have records for not many because i wasn't there very often because i didn't need to be but you had records for. Why would I need personally to get another shot? Even regardless of whether you think the shot caused my my current issues, right? Right. So like on on at least two or three different levels, it was an absurd question, right? An absurd yeah. ass, uh, assertion uh, on on her part, right? And, uh, you know, I don't I, I don't bring her name up um, for a reason because I don't think it's relevant, but it does. It does show that smart people have the have more tools in their toolbox to deceive themselves, right? And po- post hoc rationalize. And I think some of the doctors you were mentioning, I think probably fall in that same camp, right? There's a there's a courage element, but there's also the the post hoc rationalization that they tie the bow on, which is when you reveal under the surface, which is simply a you know an undermining of integrity or a lack of courage or whatever it is, right? Like there are ways to still be in line with your values, but maybe not necessarily be out in the open, right? There's different roles people can play 
in in a world like this, right? Not everyone has to have a podcast. Not everyone has to have a big platform. But there are ways to act with integrity that don't include, you know, just going along with every single dictate, right? Or even just being kind of strategic about it, right? In her case, she could have maybe said, you know, I don't know, the the idea of a, an exemption never came up, which also, now that I think about it, it's kind of interesting. But there are many ways between fully public, you know, someone like yourself, fully public in, you know, everyone's criticizing you for, for your point of view, and then, you know, fully right on mainstream kind of view. There's a lot of ways that you can maneuver within this space that are not just sitting there, especially if you are aware implicitly or many explicitly that something is off here, right? And personally, notwithstanding this, this conversation, my, my approach has been, I'm not going to participate or, you know, uh, I'll use maybe comply, I suppose, to absurd things, right? So the mandatory vaccination thing, I was like, okay, I'm, I need to get ready for the fact that I'm not going to take this and take the, take the, uh, you know, whatever the backlash is or the consequences of that are like literally to the point where I'm like, I need to think about options maybe to get to the US. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately, that conversation died after, you know, a good week and a half. Um, due to maybe the truckers and other things, but, but um, it's, it's, I guess to folks who are listening, like you do not have to be Brett who has the platform and, and the kind of the moral courage to talk about these things to make a difference, right? You don't have to, you just, I think it's really, you know, I talked to you where I was coming from this week was kind of a leadership conference. And one of the conversation points was the core of leadership is the the values the the integrity that kind of undergirds all of it all the different skills and and you know eq and all these different other things that stack on top of that those are important they're useful they're skills if you don't have that foundation none of it matters and if your values evaporate in the face of pressure then they're not they're they're a fashion statement yeah they're not they're not values in the in the deeply meaningful sense of the term right um, and I, I agree with you. I, and I, I have been, I think, too cautious, actually, in pushing people to stand up. And this was true before COVID. This was true uh, with the, the woke madness, too. And the reason I was very explicit about why I was reluctant to push people to stand up. It's not that I don't want them to stand up. I do. But I don't want them to stand up because I suggest that if you do that, and even just the example of me suggests that if you do that, it won't be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. They've done terrible things to Heather and me, but we're still doing fine. Right. So um, that example could be misleading. If, you, if you're in a position, you know, it happens, we don't work for anybody. Right. So they could interrupt our ability to earn, they, and they did mm -hmm. uh, powerfully. Mm -hmm. But nobody can fire us. So we're in a good position to stand up. Somebody who works for a boss who's going to fire them either out of a misunderstanding of what's motivating them or out of some fear of their own that if they don't, they will be next in line. Um, that person may not be in a position to stand up, yeah. but it doesn't mean that they have to be uh, on board with the madness. It doesn't mean they have to be part of it. And the, um, the thing that is, I don't want to say most conspicuous, but at, at the top of that list are a number of things. One of them is the system is not reacting the way a system that had made an honest error 
would mm -hmm. react. Right. There is not, you know, yes, there would be ass covering in sure. that case, mm -hmm. but there would also be uh, maybe grudging um, discussion of how can we make sure this never happened again. There would be uh, scapegoating, right? Mm -hmm. There would be all sorts of stuff in, you know, exactly an analogous process to the system stumbling its way to the right answer. Right. If we were all, let's put it this way, if they weren't willing to do the harm they did, then the mm -hmm. fact that they had accidentally done all of this harm would be causing the system to function in a way that it is not. It is still gaslighting. It is still pushing the same damn shots. It is still pushing them towards kids. It's pushing mandates again. Right. It's pushing mandates again. Right. Um, and as you point out, uh, among the many absurdities here, we know they don't block transmission. Mm -hmm. and we know that the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. What business is it of theirs if you get a shot? Even if their point is it will protect you from the worst uh, outcomes, which is not true. But even if it... Even even on that point, right? Like, it, it, it's absurd on its face. So put aside the transmission argument, because we know that even though people still deploy it, they're half-heartedly just deploying it. And anyone with just a pair of eyes can see that it's not... It doesn't work on Right. Them, right? Like, it's just... It, it just doesn't work. That said, you know, the, the Mott and Bailey sort of approach here is to start with the transmission argument and pull back to, oh, well, it's preventing severe disease or mitigating severe disease and, and, and supporting the hospitals on, on that basis, right? Which is even a more powerful argument in Canada because of the, you know, the public health care system, right? But even on that argument, right? It's like, okay, let's look at that. Let's look at the data because one of the things in my day job, I do, you know, I do look into, into data. I'm not some super wizard with it, but I have, I have basic skills to, to look through data. And if you looked probably fall 2021 into 2022, the people who were going to emergency rooms were vaccinated old people. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it's like, okay, that maybe if I'm generous, maybe there would be more of those older people if they didn't have the vaccine. Right. Right. But it's only them. And, and then the games played around what it, what is a hospitalization? Right. What does that actually mean? Right. And yep. all those different, like the stack of the, of the games, like the d data manipulations, not even just from a, like we made up the raw data. Like, I don't even think they, in the case of the public data, you don't have to assume, let's put it this way. You don't have to assume that the data was made up in order to still see the absurdity here. Yeah. Right. It's just the, the phrasing, it's the, it's a discussion there on, on that basis. But so you don't, you don't even have that argument. But if you go even further, the impact, the relative impact of getting X more people vaccinated, even on the best numbers, still wouldn't make much of an impact on any particular hospital. Especially because it's it's completely untargeted. Oh, too, it right? would it wouldn't make any impact on any given hospital. It also would be an extremely powerful argument for age stratification because the point is, certain number of people are going to the hospital or worse, dying right. who weren't going to end up in the hospital from COVID. Right. So those people should be insulated from both things. They're already predisposed not to suffer from COVID, we should protect them from the shots. And the fact that we don't have that conversation is conspicuous. Yeah. And then you get into the really deep stuff and it's like, well, all right, if you are saying that we have a collective responsibility to take these shots because 
something, something, hospitals overwhelm, severe effects, something like that. Then the evidence that those who have gotten many doses have IgG4 triggered, and that seems to be downregulating the immune system. Can we at least agree that if the shots, getting many of them, turns out to downregulate your immune system in a way that makes you more likely to get COVID and mm -hmm. makes you more likely to contract other diseases, mm -hmm. that were that true, that you should be recommending against the shots for everybody? Can we just at least get there? If it's true, you'll recommend against. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, no, no. We're going to be recommending four no matter what. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do is rearrange the facts so that they explain why we're recommending for the shots. But the sacred thing here is we will recommend the shots. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. That they have a conclusion now. We're looking for the evidence. We're looking for, yeah, we're looking for the, the justification. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound scientific or medical or anything. That sounds, uh, at, at best, that sounds like business. In a slightly different note, it, it also reminds me of earlier in the conversation, we talked about how people are deducing values from certain political stances, right? And so it's almost the, the reverse. We ought to align on values writ large, whether it's what we want to see in the world or just sort of how we act in the world. And then flowing from that, there may be disagreements on, on how and what we do and stuff like that, liberal, conservative, whatever phrasing you want to use. But the problem is we are doing it in the reverse way. It's a, what is your position on vaccines? What is your position on other controversial ABC issues? And then deducing that's what your values are. Now, it's not completely unrelated, obviously. You know, you can deduce something from those things. In fact, ironically, you can probably deduce more <laughs> because of the polarization. But I think we undermine the dignity of human beings and the ability to bring people together if we start in that way you might get clues on that but try to transcend that and have those conversations because look like you and i you know we know each other pretty well but we don't know each other like super in depth but you and i disagree on on certain things and i've, I've come to your position on on more things apropos of this conversation but as far as i'm concerned i don't feel an obligation to believe everything that you say right right I just listen because I think you have insights. I listen to other people who have insights, whether they are kind of mainstream people or people, you know, on, on anywhere on the map sort of thing. And I, I, I've opened that, that, um, that space a lot more than I had in the past. But the key thing for me is that, is there an insight there, even if it's buried in a lot of bullshit, right? Is there something to that, that I can, that I can chew on that I can work with, even if you think of it from, you know, folks in the audience who, who may be interested in the sort of investment space or, or venture capital and stuff like that, that's how, or angel investing, that, that's how they think. They think about where do I find the novel insights that other people aren't paying attention to? Yeah. And so apply right. that mindset to your life outside of investing in terms of how I affect, how I work on my health, how I look at my professional life, how I work and support people around me in, in terms of relationships, right? Like that is, that is a useful skill set. Instead, what we're calling critical thinking is I'm defaulting. I have a proxy and my proxy is, you know, journal A, B or C it's, you know, doctor on CNN or in my case, CBC, right. Or any number of those things. And I was playing that proxy game too, but it's okay to proxy. Proxying is okay, but know that it's a proxy. It's you not where you know where you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. You got to know where that flow of proxying is happening because we can't do the, all the way down to point zero of everything. 
right? Or Nobody. first of all, it would drive us insane. Second of all, we don't have the capacity or the time, right? Yeah. So I, I love this point. I think it, I think it's a um, it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous point. The uh, the tendency, the ability to spot what others are missing is almost synonymous with intelligence, mm -hmm. right? That is what, when we say that somebody is intelligent, that's what we mean. We don't mean that they're better at following the, you know, that they're better at reciting facts. Sure. What we mean is that they can see what others can't, or they see what others will eventually see sooner or something like that. Yep. So the idea that we have now uh, valorized the degree to which you adhere to a slate of stated beliefs rather than the degree to which you depart in a way that goes on to uh, be uh, prescient, um, to, that turns out to have been prescient, that that is us turning intelligence on his head. Yeah, and I think there, I think there is something to be said, though, that that description, I think, is true. However, I would add that I think people who otherwise have this the skill set or the raw you know intellect power are being basically you know it's almost as if they they have two sheets of paper or something to their two sides of their of their head that they can only see in front of them and they'll just deal with the phenomenon that they can see right yep. and so some to your point force incentives uh, the way that our culture works we've kind of put up these walls and we only see what's in front and until you're able to you know open up that periphery and take on the the obligations and the and the um difficulty that comes with that frankly right especially when it first happens um we will not be able to first of all find interesting insights just in general but also solve big problems because i don't care what the issue is whether it's covid related or otherwise the biggest meta challenge as far as i'm concerned is our inability to solve challenges period uh -huh. and have conversation and and transcend even the most difficult problem areas right by to your point aligning on where do we agree where do we don't where what are those value sets that can bring us together what are even just what are the things we can do that that um show the humanity in each of us and then you know come to the table so to speak and work on work on the problems until we have the ability to do that it doesn't matter what the issue is, we're not going to solve it. And in fact, we're, we're going to make it worse because certain people are literally or figuratively profiting from the inability of people to solve those problems. It occurs to me uh, in your description, if you think about what it means that somebody has been framed, mm -hmm. right? When we, when we say that that person was framed for a crime, yeah. what we mean is, I mean, we're literally, it's an analogy to a picture frame, yeah. that a picture has been painted in which this person looks guilty. Yeah. And what you're describing, the, uh, the blinders, is a matter of something having framed a pandemic that causes certain things to follow logically from it. Mm -hmm. If you accept the blinders, then the picture looks completely coherent. Right. If you throw away the blinders, you know, it's Potemkin in its own way, right? That looks like a town. But if you go around the back, it's a set, right? Um, that's an important distinction. And so part of the problem of communicating this to people is I'm not saying that you don't see what you say you see. Right. I'm telling you to stand somewhere else. Right. Then you will see what I see. Right. And if people are unwilling to do that, and this is the key, the reason that they demonize us morally 
Is it the idea? Why would I stand? Opsy told me to stand there. Would I go? And it's like, okay, but you've just accepted a formulation that makes it impossible for you to go through an exercise, which I swear will cause the scales to fall from your eyes. And you're telling me it's for moral reasons. And the point is morality does not enter into this. It's analytical. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned this to you before too, but uh, I won't go into the story too much, but simply to say that I had a friend of mine. This is this sort of illustrates the cognitive dissonance, right? All of us have cognitive dissonance. All of, like I, Everything I've said today, you know, I'm, a, I'm a flawed human being just like anyone else and maybe, maybe more so. Oh, definitely more so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we, we, we need a lot more time to, to list all the Explore things. That. Oh, yeah. I don't think yeah. there isn't enough. That's time. right. Let's that's right. Yeah, that's right. Leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even YouTube would run out of recording space. Uh, <laughs> it would be HimTube. <laughs> yeah. But I had a, had a friend of mine who was both one of the most supportive people during my health journey, but also one of the most over-the-top, um, you know, declares of his uh, adherence to the to the various narratives right yeah. in terms of you know those anti-vaxxers are screwing it up for all of us and blah 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 right but it was it was an interesting insight for me because he literally was one of the only people who reached out to me on a regular basis at least a few times a week saying hey how you doing how you feeling right um, i played sports with him so one of the one of the things that he would notice is that i'm not on playing those sports with him yeah right um, so there is that capacity in people to both have that sort of, you know, I'm going to be supportive and caring to somebody I know, but then also play this other sort of virtue signaling game. And again, I'm not trying to be condescending because I've played those games in the past too. Yeah. Right. No, no, and I probably will in the future I, in some way. This is, this is perfect because for one thing, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm right. sure I don't know him, but, um, I have a lot of hope for that person because mm -hmm. what did not happen was they did not shut down his, his sympathy right. for a friend. Exactly. And so his humanity is intact, even if his analytics have been captured. Right. Um, so definitely recoverable, but I right. also find an interesting analogy. I mean, you're drawing the analogy yourself, but an analogy uh, to you and your journey here, mm -hmm. because um, well, let me, let me ask you, I'm uh, working from, knowledge outside of our conversation here sure. but uh you were a sam harris fan <laughs> yes okay yes. Yeah, um i think this is important and i actually hope sam will watch this mm -hmm. um you were a sam harris fan and one of the things that you said that struck me very powerfully after i think after you had begun to be treated uh for your injury mm -hmm. was that absent your misfortune that you would probably be ballpark where Sam Harris is ballpark where yep. Sam Harris is. Yep. And, uh, that, that struck me profoundly because of course, you know, Sam is or was a friend mm -hmm. and he's been terrible to Heather and me over COVID as you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think he imagines all sorts of moral defects uh, in people who disagree with him. And he does not understand where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I think um, your ability to still, to not 
flinch from looking at where you think you would be if you hadn't had the personal experience that woke you up. Um, Sam does not know how many of the people who are most angry at him actually are fans of his mm -hmm. who uh, are deeply disappointed and feel betrayed by his straying from central features of his own uh, his own philosophy, right. the the moral imperative uh, not to lie, for example. The story we were given was riddled with lies, and he's mm -hmm. he's doubled down again and again over them. Uh, his position that you know we have two choices: one of them is to have difficult conversations, and the other is violence. Mm -hmm. And yet he refuses to talk. Mm -hmm. So anyway. I, I hope that maybe he and others who are in the same place can hear, here's somebody who would be with us potentially. And I don't necessarily know that you would, but I think the fact that you're willing to, to entertain that possibility, um, but had an experience that is just simply incompatible with landing there, that's all you need to know, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Sam, there but for the grace of God go you. Right. And, you know, I hate to put it in religious terms, but Sam, this is part of it. Right. I, I think it's I think that's the key. And the, the way that I that I phrase it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, Sam. I only know him through through the podcast and, you know, the YouTube world. When I went through my my quasi atheist phase, I'm not a religious person, but I wouldn't call myself an atheist at this point. But so I was introduced, introduced to him that way. And then I thought he was particularly good on pre-COVID issues in, in many ways. Um, didn't agree with him about everything, but he's a different human being. So therefore, of course, I don't agree with him on everything. Mm -hmm. I know I make that point a lot with with friends and stuff like that, but it's just, we know that, but we don't internalize that point. <laughs> that uh, if, you, if you're only 99% in agreement, which is probably still quite rare, um, you know, that 1% makes us a moral, a moral hazard or some moral defect in some way, right? But yeah, I think it's just incredibly important to have the humility to understand that, you know, this also sounds quasi-religious too, but the humility to know that you are also flawed, that you are affected by the same phenomena that you, that one might be describing around the world and, and affecting other people. You were affected by it too. You might be affected differently, but you were affected by it too. And absent other circumstances, you may be falling in different places. And to your point, I identified I to your point I don't know it's it's projecting on a on a other scenario that we don't know exactly where it would go but um the defaulting the proxy point I was making earlier I think one of the the flaws that Sam has in this case is that he thinks his evidence um his his evidence is proxies right yeah his More often well not yeah his evidence is proxies which amounts to appeals to authority right which, right you yeah. know in, in most people's yeah. case they don't know how the immune system works they well, don't know you know how the image in the textbook differs from the actual sure. physiology they don't they're not in a position to judge this and right. to sam's credit sam says he's not in a position to judge it but what right. he does that doesn't make sense is he projects that onto for example heather and me right and he says you don't know anything about the space just the same way I, Sam, don't know anything about the space. Mm -hmm. And that's dead wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we I don't want to go after uh, Sam's capacity to 
to analyze this stuff, but the mm-hmm. fact is there is a discussion to be had about, you know, it's not the degree that makes you qualified. It's whether or not you have the background information to extrapolate in a way that is more insightful than it is misleading. And uh, Sam doesn't have it. He knows that, but he just assumes that that must be true of anyone who departs from the narrative rather than there's something wrong with the engine that's generating the narrative. It is heavily influenced at the very least by powerful forces with perverse incentives. Yeah. I think ultimately when you look at someone like, like Sam, um, I see somebody who, who, yeah, has it. So those direct appeals to authority and, but at the same time, you know, he does this, but I think this is a broader phenomenon too. We often will see that, that folks who kind of accept the more mainstream approach to the issues we've been facing over the past few years, not just COVID, but more broadly, they will appeal to all expert A, which has, you know, epidemiologist or cardiologist or whatever. And it's like, okay, all right. Well, they certainly, in principle, would have some sort of tool set to evaluate the issues that might be at hand. But then you pull out those very same titles and backgrounds and stuff like that who disagree, right? Slightly or even profoundly. And it's like, oh, no, they're, they're cranks. And it's like, okay, but who is deciding that they are cranks? Right. Right? They might be cranks, right? It could very well be the case. But who is deciding that? Much like how people will say, well, don't do your own research, right? <laughs> and, I, and I've, you know, again, humility. I've definitely said that sort of thing or made jokes to that effect with, right. with other people. But fundamentally, and I'll still probably make jokes to them to some effect almost in a, just an ironic way, but fundamentally... If you are, again, in my, maybe in my health uh, journey as well, but in general, when people go to the doctor and they get an opinion from the doctor on something, and then they go to another doctor and get a second opinion on something, who's going to decide which opinion you're going with? Right. And, you know, if the two opinions agree, that tells you something, but sure. often they don't. That's why you would get a second one. That's why that used to be the wisdom. Right. But you get a second opinion, you get maybe a third opinion, whatever. But ultimately, my point is, you, as the non-expert, quote, are, going unquote, to have to... are still going to have to make the call. Right. Which right? may be based on who you think is more likely to be sure. right. It may be yeah. based on a calculation that it actually is influenced by your values. In other right. words, um, how much do I want to extend my life at all costs and how much would I rather, um, you know, increase the quality of my life at some risk to shortening it. Those things could cause you to decide one way or the other, you know, am I going to throw caution to the wind and assume that I don't or whatever it is. But, um, but to your point, and this, again, I don't mean to focus on Sam here, but the doctor's, the dissident doctors, that group includes some of the most highly published doctors in their fields. Mm-hmm. And their work was not based on a guess. It was based on proper medicine. They detected patterns. They chased them down. And those patterns are manifest in, uh, in experiment where, if you know where to look. To demonize them as kooks, to portray them as out of their depth, 
as grifters, as you know, Sam went to the point of hypothesizing that they might be schizophrenic, right? The point is okay. Well, that's you know possible. Right. The reign, the realm of possibility includes that they are schizophrenic. It also, Sam, includes the possibility that you are schizophrenic, right? But the incredibly deep publication record and the history of innovating. Uh, uh, treatments that are now standard of care for multiple different disorders. This is not consistent with a world in which these people are lightweights. And what you are saying is that people who were at the top of their field are now cranks, have thrown away their careers over nothing, over insanity or over uh, perverse incentive. Does that make sense? Does that make more sense than a world in which uh, pharma, which has an obvious perverse incentive, captured doctors and turned most of them into puppets, people who are not highly published in their fields. Mm -hmm. Which of these is more likely? You know, this is the kind of question that Sam used to be very good at. Yeah, if you take, but the thing is, we, we are uh, sort of fed these one-liners around, oh, okay, he's a grifter, or, you know, this person is a crank, or whatever the line is. And, but there's also sort of an incentive, ha going back to my point around doing your own research, to not look at it, right? It's yeah. sort of like this smoke signal, this this uh, odor that is thrown over. And again, mea culpa, like I definitely have fallen victim to avoiding the stench, so to speak, of, of other folks who might have insights that I otherwise could have used in some ways in the past. And so now my my approach is I'm very aware that that's you know a skunk may have been in this area so to speak because other people have thrown the 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 odor down but i'm interested again i'm interested in the insight i ha might have to really search and really yeah. you know claw my way to find it but i'm interested in the insight and there are certain things that i'm getting better at in understanding who has those insights and for what reasons and what values sort of undergirded and their their approaches their styles and you know i'll have my revised version of proxies but again i know who my proxies are or at least i yeah i am very conscious of of identifying where i am proxying well the other the other thing if i can just extrapolate from the story that you've told if the same scenario went down again mm -hmm. with a different virus different highly novel shots whatever mm -hmm. you would still not know who knew what they were talking about for sure. Right, right. But if you could read the basics, the basics are, I am not heavily threatened by this disease. In fact, I'm probably not in serious danger at all. I'm likely to get it, but I'm likely to come through it. There is no long-term information on the impact of this new technology that I'm being told to get. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm being told that it is highly effective at preventing the transmission of disease, but I know that the voices that say that have lied to me before. Mm -hmm. They've told me that they knew it blocked transmission, and then it turned out years later that they had no basis for saying such a thing, mm -hmm. and they probably knew it didn't wasn't true. But they said they didn't say it. Oh, right, and they, right, and then they tried to memory hold their having said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you had those facts, and then the point is, yes, but I'm being coerced, I have to get this shot because I'm not going to be allowed to participate in society. You would undoubtedly 
choose to accept a higher cost to avoid the much larger unknown mm -hmm. of the consequence of that shot because you know what can lurk behind that door. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, I, I hate that this lesson had to come to you this way. I hope that what's happened is you have um, fully recovered and nothing lurks from your your one uh, inoculation. Mm -hmm. um, but if that's what happened, in some ways, that's a that's a gift. It's an incredibly powerful lesson. You you say that, uh, and and that's kind of the phrasing that I I was saying while I was working on the recovery. I said to the people who did know, I said that I, when, if, whatever phrasing I would use at the time, I get through this, this will be among the greatest gifts I've ever been given. And I do believe that. Um, it was profoundly the biggest challenge of my life. Um, at, you know, I always want to emphasize that it was bad, but I had it much less um, than many other folks had it, right? And so I'm always conscious of that. But um, yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes that, that's what is required in life. Life, you need certain, some people need a nudge, some people need a little tap on the shoulder, and sometimes you need to be fully shaken before you uh, see certain things that you wouldn't see otherwise. And, you know, who knows what that trajectory would have been absent of this, to your earlier point, but I am where I am, and, and uh, I'm still learning, I'm still, you know, figuring things out as I go, and and I would just say in general that I, my values have not changed from where I was pre 2020. My view on the world and how it operates has changed. Right. But my values have not changed. In fact, I almost kind of scraped through a little bit and noticed certain things that were almost kind of suppressed in a, in a value sense. Cause I just wouldn't think of it or it was so deep in proxies and all these different things. And um, I think it's for, for folks out there who, may otherwise not be don't find my message endearing don't find my story endearing or otherwise uh you know dismiss me you know fair enough that's that's your prerogative but just i would just hope that you give yourself a moment to think am i also being a little um am i am i lacking humility here mm -hmm. and you don't have to agree with what i'm saying what brett's saying what anyone's saying but do I have a little bit of humility to understand that I don't, I couldn't possibly know how the world works in a full, fulsome sense. And the way that the last few years has worked out, there's no way that your model, even if it predicted relatively well, that your model would ever get to what we, what we saw. Even for folks like yourself, your model changed over time. Now you had a pretty yep. good model going into it, but it certainly changed even, I'd say significantly, right? Yep. Um, and so just at least start with the humility, notwithstanding anything else that we've, that we've talked about. And if you start there, that's great. And also just maybe the first thing with that humility is to rebuild that bridge if possible with that person that, that you have either been estranged from or otherwise, uh, where possible. I know it's not possible in many cases, but I think it's, um, the deep, deep thing that, we all crave as human beings for that connection. And uh, whenever you can rebuild a bridge that, that has been burnt down, um, 
it's a tough but a rewarding experience and um you know notwithstanding everything that has been talked about today i think that that's at least the foundational step and it sounds like it's so divorced from talk about you know side effects from a from some sort of healthcare intervention and going through the system and all sorts of stuff but healthcare event intervention what is it is downstream from the fundamentals the first principles of how do we communicate with each other what are our values and um are we mindful that as human beings that we're not only flawed but also can't possibly know everything that's going on in the world so you must be able you must be open at least to some extent to information that you might otherwise be dismissive of yeah and let me uh uh add a little precision to sure. the, to your example here yeah. we know that people were injured by these shots right everybody acknowledges that right. even pfizer acknowledges this right, right. That means that when you're dealing with somebody who's telling you that they had an injury, you might be dealing with a very rare, unlucky person, but you're not dealing with a morally defective person. Right. Yeah. And the point is, the real question, if you think these shots were a slam dunk, um, you have to acknowledge that the cost of that slam dunk was some number of people got hurt. And the question is... Somebody got hit by the ball when it went through the hoop, yeah. so to speak. How many? Yeah. How many? If it's a tiny number, then if it's a tiny number and the shots are effective and the evidence that suggests they're not uh, is somehow an error, then the point is, yeah, okay, these are shots that have a cost of X, that is the number of people who are hurt and how badly they are injured. Mm -hmm. And they have a benefit, which is why, and you can compare these things and do a cost-benefit analysis. And then you would do something smart like risk stratification based on age. Mm -hmm. um, if you're demonizing people because they say they were hurt, you have a moral problem. That's an actual moral problem. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to demonize people who tried to do the right thing and got unlucky. It doesn't matter whether they are very common and they upend the story of safe and effective vaccines or they are very rare and it's just simply the cost of uh, an improvement in our collective health. You have no right to demonize people who got hurt. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm biased when I say that, but I would agree, <laughs> agree with that. But I, I would go even further and just say, you don't have to accept that it was caused by the vaccine in that case. You don't, have to, you don't even have to go there. Yeah. Just be a good human being and support somebody who's going through a rough time. Right. Even, even it, let's agree that a medical treatment that has a certain number of adverse reactions, that there will also be people who have the deep misfortune of having gotten the treatment and then having a weird bit of luck where something completely unrelated to that treatment befalls them right in the immediate aftermath. Totally. And so yeah. they think this happened yeah. to them, yeah. and it didn't. Right. Even that person has done nothing wrong. They've right. extrapolated in a way that we could all put two things together and imagine they're connected right. and they're not. That person also deserves your compassion. You right. just don't have any right to demonize any of these people. The only right. You could demonize somebody who was lying. If somebody was lying to get attention, they are actually hurting people who've actually been injured. That right. person does uh, deserve ridicule. But I, I would just say just quickly on that point, the, the lying part, unfortunately, I think a lot of people project that you must be lying. lying. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it's and it's ubiquitous. Like I, I it's it's a it's crazy. Like I, I, I don't think even in my you know, 2020 or pre-2020 mindset, I don't think I would have necessarily jumped to lying, at least not in most cases. I would have probably just said, you know, you're 
mistaken. you were mistaken. It's probably with something else. Like it's unfortunate that's happening to you, but it probably wasn't the you know super safe, super effective, and amazing vaccines that we all know are amazing. <laughs> they are amazing, <laughs> at least in a business sense. Yeah. All right. Well, Nick, uh, this has been a great discussion. I thought uh, we were going to chat for 15 minutes. <laughs> I think we've gone over an hour here. But anyway, yeah. uh, it was a pleasure. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming up to the islands and visiting. And uh, thank you for courageously exploring a story that it can't be uh, much fun to relive. Not fun, but uh, it was a good exercise. And I do appreciate you making the time. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Be well, everyone. Thanks, everyone.